Good evening. Glad you're here. In fact, really glad you're here. And I'm a little bit, as I begin this evening, I'm a little bit in a, even though I'm, I'm slightly jet-lagged, so bear with me a little bit. I just, I'm on a three-hour different time zone, so it's bedtime now. But I'm really happy to be with you. And, and while I was sitting tonight, I just started having one of those evenings where my mind went into uh, a state of kind of awe and wonder at the, the kind of miraculousness of the fact that we're here. Just how each of us was moved by, by circumstances, by our conditioning, by so many forces that began at beginningless time, that every one of us was moved by so many non-personal elements and that we all ended up here at this time and how one little turn, one little change of weather five million years ago or a little different speck of the sun flaring the, the temperature slightly differently and we might not be here in the way we are. That we are completely in a state of mutual dependence with everything and everyone that has ever been. And not one of us, not one person here, could be, given all of the myriad circumstances that brought us to this moment, not one of us could be any different than the way we are. And that we are, in some ways, a... a not just some ways, but in, in a real way, we are a perfectly unique individual expression of life because life has moved each of us a little bit differently, but it's moved us all together. So we are both individual and we are, at the same time, completely non-separate from one another. And this is really the teaching of the, the two truths, that we are individual have our unique individual karma or, or conditions, actions, and yet we they are, all of our actions, all of our uniqueness, to some degree, depends on everything that has ever happened. And as one teacher named Nagarjuna put it, this is the deathless teaching of Buddhas who care for the world, that, that, um, that I'm not the same as you, nor am I completely different. I'm neither cut off from you, nor am I forever bound to you. Uh, as he continues, this is the deathless teaching for Buddhas who care for the world. So when, when my mind goes into that state of, of awe and wonder about the, the amazingness of, and the connection of everything, converging right here. The notion that anyone here should be different, that I should be different, that anything should be different, completely seem, it seems completely absurd. And that each of us is in that 
way that we've been affected by life, not always pleasantly, not always helpfully, but in, in the way each of us has been affected by life, we, are, we have been forged in a way that we are perfectly ourselves. The only way we could be up to this point. But it seems that the way life has moved us, the way human beings have developed, that our sense of, of, um, of enoughness, our sense of, I am, I am just exactly how I am up to this point, a direct experience of ourselves as that perfect expression of life, somehow has gotten lost along the way for almost everyone. And because of the forces that all of us are participating in, the forces of what the Buddha called the three poisons that cause us suffering, of greed, hatred, and ignorance, because of these forces, our minds have, have been conditioned to become more and more reactive, and our reactivity, our holding on, our pushing away, our... our um, our liking and our not liking and our views and opinions and our desires has created such an internal pressure for each of us to some degree that our minds have, um, have as a way of, of um, coping with the internal pressure, have, have uh, taken over, our thinking mind has taken over as a, in an attempt to somehow govern and control and make sense of this of this crazy world that we live. How the world, how our own lives have come to be, and because our minds have st- we've started to live so much in our thinking mind, we have lost touch with that place where we, with that intimacy, that place where we are touched and touching life, right where it touches us, right here. We've lost touch with that, as the Buddha was called, he was called Tathagata, suchness, that one who has touched suchness. We've lost the suchness of our being, the isness, the beingness, the essence. And instead, we have all become, be, become habituated to, uh, to, uh, to um, associating ourselves thinking of ourselves as the, um, as the imagined one that lives in our thoughts. During this last retreat that I was leading, I, I, was, I was teaching in a center that where, where one of my teachers used to, uh, used to visit a lot. His name was Anagarka Munindra. And I think I've, I probably quote him several times a, a month or a year or whatever, but one of his favorite lines was, I, for some reason I'm having a deja vu, so I must have just said this recently, but his, one of his most classic lines is, a thought of your mother is not your mother. And we can extrapolate that down to our we can extend that to ourselves. A thought of ourselves is not ourselves. Yet we tend to, out of our non-personal, innocent conditioning, we've all started to associate who we are with our thoughts. 
and most of our thoughts, based on the level of reactivity, the habit of mind to push away what's unpleasant and grab onto what's pleasant and associate our well-being with, with what's next, our thoughts have, um, have the, the momentum of our thoughts has moved in the direction of, of unsatisfactoriness, of insufficiency, of not enough, of, of some way that, uh, that I'm wrong. I'm wrong, or I'm unworthy, or I'm unlovable. And, and out, of, out of an attempt to try to find relief from my unlovability, I'm, I'm looking to everyone else to tell me that I'm lovable. And then the more I look to everyone else to tell me I'm lovable, the more I feel unlovable because I'm leaving myself. I'm lo- I've lost touch of, with my suchness. Lost touch with the tata, the, the I'm, I'm forgetting that I am the Tathagata. I am the, I am the, the one who knows suchness. That, that's my nature. I have never been apart from, from life and, and my essence. But I've imagined, I'm imagining, and I chronically imagine that I'm somehow disconnected. I'm, I'm somehow lost touch with the... I'm no longer in the flow of life, even though not one of us could ever be a part of the flow of life, apart from the flow of life. We're all continually being moved by life and its circumstances, by the elements of earth, air, fire, water, by, by politics, by religion, by everything, by weather. In fact, when David was speaking tonight about the, in the Donna talk, I, when, as soon as he finished, I opened up my folder because I kind of like to rummage around and see what I might want to read and and I found this passage from Brian Swim that uh, uh, another deep reminder of our connection with, with the cosmos. He said, The sun, each second, transforms four million tons of itself into light. Human generosity is possible only because, because at the center of the solar system, a magnificent stellar generosity pours forth free energy day and night without stop and without complaint and without the slightest hesitation. Now, our conceptual mind says, and it's wonderful that we can use our conceptual mind, the conceptual mind says that that sun is there and I'm here. But if we drop the idea of self and sun for a moment, there's no dividing line between the sun and its rays and that current of generosity we are never apart from the sun. We would not exist if it wasn't for the sun. And that sun might not exist if it wasn't for all the other conditions of the solar system. So we, all of us, to some degree, fall into a kind of delusion of consciousness that thinks of ourselves as somehow apart from the flow of life, separate, cut off, unable to find our way back home when we've never left home, just like the wave that thinks it is separated from the ocean, that the wave cannot be separate from the ocean. And part of that, that narrative that has become our self-definition, the narrative is, is our inner thoughts are saying, hmm, I'm not so happy. 
and I can't be happy now. I'm, maybe I can be happy when he's done talking. <laughs> maybe I can be happy when I get laid. Maybe I can be happy when I, my bank account fills up. Maybe I can be happy when I quit my job. Maybe I can be... Our mind starts to associate our happiness with something that has to happen other than this moment. And that not only is my well-being not to be found here, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong. I am, I've got, I've, I'm defiled. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm bad in some way. I'm not good. I'm not okay. And yet, when we're tasting the, the way life is actually moving us right here, when we're really immediate, there's not a person in this room that can find a place on present evidence where we're, when we're, where we're flawed, where we're not enough, where we're not okay. So this, this whole notion of being inadequate, unsatisfied, all that, is, is a story of the past. It's a, it's a, it's a story. It's, and it can't be found in the immediate and direct experience of our reality. So it's part of the conceptual world of our imagination. And it's wonderful that we can think about ourselves. It's wonderful that we that our mind has this creative capacity to create a virtual me. Even though that virtual me is imaginary, it doesn't really exist. Even though it obscures the, the, the bare... I'm thinking of an old, old definition of the proliferating mind. It obscures the bare... I think it said something like it obscures the bare data of cognition kind of weird language. But even though it does all those things, it's amazing that we can think about ourselves. And if we couldn't think about ourselves, it would be problematic. Think about the past, think about the future. People that couldn't, can't think about the past or the future go a little bit crazy. But still, to live almost exclusively in our imagination and miss the place that we are always living but forgetting that place of suchness, that place of isness or beingness or whatever you want to call it. Forget the words. In fact, forget all words for a moment. Forget your last thought. Forget your next one. Forget your name. Forget the time, the date, the year, your age, whatever it is. Forget it for a moment. And notice what, what dawns immediately when you're free of the the idea of yourself. It is almost inevitable that there may be a moment of a little dis-ease, a little uncertainty when you, when you step out of the thought world for a moment, but probably within a few moments, if you don't, if you don't look ahead or you don't look back, you'll, you'll sense that there's, there's a natural, as Noshul Ken puts it, there's a natural great peace and that you can rest here.
That's why he says, rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thinking. Like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Samsara is the the habit of mind and body to continually go chasing after some idea of what will make us happy and, and experience a chronic sense of dissatisfaction. Because we know if, we're, if we really look at our, our lives, if we pay attention to it, we see that all search for happiness elsewhere is, produces misery and leads to more misery. And the only happiness worth that name is the, is the natural happiness of just being conscious, being in touch with life where it touches you. So the the same teacher, Manindra, when I had the the good fortune of of being his attendant for a a long practice period where he was, I was being, I was managing some uh, residential meditation retreats at the time. This is in the early 1980s. And he, uh, and I was in charge of taking care of him and his needs and kind of followed him around and we talked a lot. And when he left, when he went back to India and said goodbye to me, he looked into my eyes in this kind of, with a smile on his face and said to me, may you truly be happy. And immediately I started to feel a little doubtful. Maybe I'm not happy. Maybe I'm not truly happy. And then I started studying whether I was really happy or not, and I saw how much my happiness seemed to be dependent on getting what I want, getting rid of what I don't want, often so much associated with, with uh, tomorrow. And I saw that there was a lot of restlessness and a lot of, um, a lot of moments where I was, I was waiting, I was hoping, I was in this state of a kind of frenzied, as everyone who's come here knows, I, I have this phrase that, that became, really, it became really clear to me, just paying attention to my own mind, that I was often in a state of suspended happiness. I was postponing it until I would you know, reach the end of the, the weekend or the end of the project. And in the early years when I was studying this in my own mind, I... I was also into, into fixing up the, my living space, otherwise known as home improvement. And one day it dawned on me that, uh, that I was waiting to the end of the project to be happy. Every little project, it was always kind of waiting. And, and then I realized that home improvement was endless. And then I was just... Practicing waiting. It's practicing non-happiness, non-contentment, non-calm. I was practicing a restless and agitated mind. And then I realized that self-improvement was the same. It's also endless. So we don't eat and our mind, our thinking mind says, I'll be happy when I work out my my problems. 
I'll be happy when I work out my, uh, when I heal that, that um, abandonment or when I heal that whatever it is. And it's true that we will be, we will have much more ease of being when we've, when we have explored and unraveled things in us that are, that are difficult to bear. But so much, uh, so much well-being is missed and can be missed by thinking that I, I cannot be happy now. Can't be happy now. And there's not one person here, no matter how big of trauma you've been in, there's not one person here that cannot be happy now. And that happiness, because I know that that happiness is unconditional. It is not dependent on circumstances. The happiness of a Buddha is a happiness that doesn't depend on, what, on getting what you want or getting rid of what you don't want. It is your fundamental nature. It is tathagata. It is, it, is your, it is the suchness of your being right now before you can look ahead or look back. And so even in the midst of, of whatever incredibly difficult situation that you have, whatever seems impossible, right in the middle of it, you can in any moment turn and bear witness to your nature, which is no nature, which is free, open, right now, and calm. And it's simply a matter of, for one moment at a time, being conscious. Not conscious of this or that, but simply conscious. And for a moment, suspending any kind of view that you have or story you have about yourself. As one sutra put it, having no view of self, one is always peaceful. So in the midst of everything, we have in us this unshakable peace that has not been affected by anything that's ever gone on with us. And it's easy to miss. And it doesn't mean we don't have to solve all our problems. But it sure makes it a hell of a lot easier if you know, if you are guided by the fact that you're not going anywhere, that what you are looking for is your own nature. And it's not an improved you. It's simply a you free of the, free of the confusion that believes that you must have things or do things or get rid of things to be happy. True happiness is unconditional. As one teacher put it, it's like the happiness... It's just in openness. It's like a, being a child and wandering around and empty, having all the time in the world. And we have that, a moment at a time. Anytime we, we just connect with the simplicity of the present moment. So as Sri Nisargadatta puts it, you need not correct yourself. Only set right your idea of yourself. Learn to separate yourself from the image and the mirror. Keep on remembering, I'm neither the mind nor its ideas. Do it patiently and with conviction, and you will surely come 
to the direct vision of yourself as the source of being, knowing, loving, eternal, all-embracing, all-pervading. You are the infinite, focused in a body. Now you see the body only, try earnestly and you will come to see the infinite only. I would say you'll come to see the infinite and the body. It's all inseparable. So you are really, as he continues, you are really in search of yourself without knowing it. You are love, longing for the love-worthy, the perfectly lovable. Due to ignorance, you're looking for it in the world of opposites and contradictions. When you find it within, your search will be over. So all you need is within you. So our practice is to, there's a few elements of our practice that I think are, the reason I'm talking about this is, one, it's sharing the good news, and two, because to highlight why we practice. I mean, we could speak for weeks why we practice. There's so many useful things about practice, just to create a space of wise choice and so that we start to notice more of what we're doing when we're doing it, so we stop making messes of our lives, that we actually we live, uh, we live happier, healthier lives. But two things can happen in practice that are, I found particularly helpful. The more we dwell and pay attention to the simple reality of the present moment, the more we're actually connecting ourselves with the vital present, with the place where life is, is touching us and we're touching life. We are able to experience in that immediacy that feeling of being held, connected to, and um, part of a, a greater whole. And that feeling of connected and being part of a greater whole begins to cut through the delusion that we carry that we're alone. And that's, it's very faith-producing, it's very confidence-producing, just by virtue of that feeling of being at home, feeling at home in this world. As our thoughts are pretty much tormented with the idea that we're not at home. And when we're in our thoughts of not being at home, our bodies don't feel at home. So the more we settle here, the more our mind and body come into a, a place of connection, place of harmony with all of nature, the, the, the elements that, of nature that express themselves in our body, the earth, the air, the fire, the water, all, all of what has made this body, it, can, it starts mingling. It starts being able to mingle with all the, the earth, with those elements everywhere. We, we break that spell that somehow... This body exists independently. It doesn't. It's made up of its nature. So we end up connected to nature. And you know what it feels like to walk in nature. But when we come back to our own body, it's the same thing. It's the same feeling of resonating with something that is deep and connected, where the roots run through everything, all of life. So there's that part. And we 
we can then just even reflect on, and we'll, as I did tonight, I just it's so amazing. Tibetan word, emaho, how amazing that we are just the way we are. That given that connection with all of life, not one of us, as my friend Wes says, we are not our fault. You are not your fault. You are you're the, you experience the fruit of so many non-personal causes and conditions that to lay blame on yourself for your life and to somehow take... We are responsible for our individuality, but we're not to blame. We have just been fed by so many forces beyond our individuality. And so it's absurd to beat ourselves up and to judge ourselves and criticize ourselves for so many things that were set in motion long before we were even a thought. A a whisper in in our mother's mind or our a glint in their eye. What, it's just so many things about us are, they are beginningless. So it's, we're not our fault. And we begin to sense this, that we're all in this together. Then the second thing that becomes clear, the more we're connected to our lives, is our mind becomes quiet. And when our mind becomes quiet, it starts to, it starts to uh, brighten until it begins to shine in its clarity. If I'm stirring the waters by getting lost in thought, it's like, it's like turbulent water. If I'm getting caught in, in confusion and delusion, it's like muddy water. If I'm getting lost in a, in a um, fantasy, it's like dye-colored water, but as the water settles, as the mind clears, as I connect with life a little bit more, I get brighter and brighter. And the brighter I get, the more I see what my mind is doing. And I can see so clearly, as you can see if you pay attention, that a thought of your mother is not your mother. It's just a thought. Thought of yourself is not yourself. that not one person here can be captured, can be, can be described by a thought, by a story. What could you say about yourself? Could you really capture this moment? Could you capture your immediate and direct experience with, a, with an idea, with a story? It just... It's just of the past. You can't find it, the one who's not okay here. Unless you, as I like to put it, unless you consult your memory. Then I can think of, yeah, I'm screwy. I'm a mess. Nobody likes me. I never get what I want. No, I, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it, we all have our story. But you need that, those past thoughts to suffer. As my, one of my teachers, Nis, or 
Punjaji says, you need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need, it, need anything to be free. The boulders of the past rest on your chest and in, then impede your freedom. How do you come out of that? You recognize those, those thoughts. And that's the beauty of practice. You see the difference between your, the thoughts of yourself and the, and the immediate reality. And, that's, and then it's actually quite fun to see what your mind is saying. Quite painful, too. You realize that uh, our thoughts are often just so tormenting and so mean and so not helpful and so critical of ourselves, critical of others. And we're continually making ourselves and others over and over again in our mind. And of course, when we're quiet, ourself and others starts to kind of fade away and we're just in it together. But our thinking mind is saying, hmm, I'm better than, I'm less than, so inflation, deflation, I'm equal to, measuring all the... And again, that describes somebody who doesn't exist. It's just a story, and it's just torment. This is, this is delusion. And this is, a, this is a bad dream. And the key is to, to wake up from this dream. It's like Bo Lozov who says, you know, our life is, we're just so much about, and this is about the measuring mind, so much about keeping up with the Joneses. He says, but it's time that we see that the Joneses are not happy. You know, whenever we're in that process of trying to keep up or trying to compare, we're just in a loop of, of, of unhappiness, and there's just no end to it. No matter how much you have, no matter how successful you are, no matter how low you are, no matter how, what you lose, you cannot be captured. And all of it obscures everything you get lost in, obscures uh, your true heart, which is which every person here is beautiful. Not a person here that's not. I've been, you know, my two sides of awe lately, because I, I have the good fortune of watching people on retreats a lot. And I, after a few days on retreats with people, I've, I'm just mad, I'm madly in love with every person, to some degree. Because I just see their, their suchness, their unique expression. Their, and I know that what I'm seeing is so different than, than the, the narrative that's going through their mind. It's just completely distorted. And it always, whenever I think about that, I think about the person who really turned me on to that notion for some reason. It was, it was my daughter who, as a little being, I just saw that she was just this perfect expression of life and just awesome. And then I started to see the way her mind started to separate out. And I've, I've talked about it endlessly here, how she had these little ringlet curls, and I see her by the mirror trying to straighten her hair, and she already she was comparing at age four. And this is an innocent thing that happens to all of us, but she... But she still, as you do, she still retain. Her name is Molly. She retains her Molliness, and each person here retains their their version of Molliness. But if we could really just connect with our version of Molliness and trust it a little bit, and not not 
bow at the throne, not be so devoted to the imaginary, the imaginary version of ourselves, we'd be a lot happier. And it's possible. And we can see the difference when we practice. We can see the difference between the storyline and reality. And I think I'm, I believe a little bit more in the reality now than the storyline. And hopefully you will too. I think that's all I have to say. Let's see if... I think I'll just share a couple little quotes before we go. Little Albert Einstein. A human being is a part of the whole called us by us universe. A part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest. A kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison, restricting us to our personal desires, to the affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free from this prison, free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole nature of nature and its beauty. A mystic, this is from Joan Borshenko, a mystic sees beyond the illusion of separateness into the intricate web of life in which all things are expressions of a single whole. You can call this web the Tao, the Great Spirit, the Infinite Mystery, Mother or Father, but it can be known only as love. So may all beings know true love, may all beings know true happiness, and may our practice, uh, by virtue of recognizing that interbeing, may our practice be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings, not just for ourselves. Maybe we'll just sit for 30 seconds quietly. From Shantideva. As a blind man feels when he finds a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life the tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life, the bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life, the cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated, the sun that dispels darkness, the butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it, in, churning it with the Dharma, is a feast of joy to which all are invited.
Thank you. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks. Hope to see you next time. Be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.